Really looking forward to bringing in our next guest to Sports 1440 as uh, we welcome in Dick Irvin to the program. Dick, good morning. You're with Kevin Carius and former Montreal Canadian David Schlemko. Uh, thanks for taking the time this morning. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. And uh, David, who was the coach when you were here? Uh, Claude Julien. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I wondered why they ever let him go, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Strictly an opinion of a fan. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I wonder if I can just uh, uh, take a minute of your time. You bet. Uh, two very good friends of mine in Edmonton passed away this past year, Buddy Rogers and Brian McDonald. That was their names. I grew up with them in Regina. I just thought I'd like to mention their name, and if anyone from their families are listening right now, just uh, passing on my wishes. Well, I'm going to give you one more as well. Uh, we might as well get that out of the way first here, uh, Dick, because we had so many texts coming in from uh, our listeners. Uh, here's another one. Uh, good morning. I heard that you were going to have Dick Irvin on today. Is there a chance you could say hi to me from uh, my dad? Uh, this is David Hingley, and his dad was Doug Hingley, a good friend oh, of yours. Very much so. And, and in fact, Doug uh, played on the same. My dad had a junior baseball team that he sponsored in Regina in the late forties, and mm-hmm. Doug was the first baseman, but he was the third baseman, and uh, we were all buddies together. And I played with Doug. Uh, he was a good hockey player, much better than me. But we were teammates for one year at uh, Saskatchewan on the Huskies. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's. Uh, and another thank you. That's a wonderful memory. This is another one that just came in, and you mentioned it already from Scott McDonald. And it goes okay. like this yeah. David says, Hi, strange request. Uh, I was listening, heard you say you were going to have uh, Dick on. My dad, Brian, grew up in Regina with Dick, used to get together with him in Edmonton uh, when they'd be in town for the Canadians games. And then he talks about dad played for the Pats, junior Canadians, then the U of S Huskies. Uh, oh, coach. Yeah, he was, he yeah. was a better player than I was. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, well that, that's good. You're spreading the word, and you've got uh, people out there. So uh, thank you, Kevin. That's very nice. Well, so so great to have you on, Dick. And, you know, and you, you and I were talking the other day, and we have so many, I guess, Saskatchewan ties in Melville and Yorkton and, and Regina. But for you, and you were talking about it, your broadcasting career, when it kind of started, it could have started in Saskatchewan. What took you out to Montreal? Well, I was living in Montreal. But I grew, I spent the first... 19 years of my life in Regina, and then my dad, uh, throughout that whole time, had been coaching in the National Hockey League. Um, he started coaching the Toronto Maple Leafs the year I was born, and by the time I was 19, he was uh, in Montreal, and he had uh, gone through, he ended up coaching the Canadians for 15 years, and he had gone through 11 years, and but the seasons, you know, he used to commute. I mean, in the way the seasons were when he started out, let's say, in Montreal, he'd leave home in October and be back home the end of March. <laughs> you know, there were 40, 44 game seasons, 48 game seasons, but then it just started to get more. 50 became 60, became 70, and uh, it just got a little much. So uh, he finally decided to move the family in, uh, in the summer of 1951. And... Um, that's why people used to ask me, and they still do sometimes, What's it, what was it like growing up as the son of a coach in the National Hockey League? My answer is I don't know because I didn't live with him. <laughs> uh, only the last four years uh, of his time here in Montreal did I really remember. So that's how I was in Montreal. I went to McGill. I graduated. I went. I worked for eight years in industry, mainly with the Shell Oil Company, and then one thing led to another. It's too long a story for me to relate and boring for your listeners. But I ended up working for the new CTV station, Channel 12, CFCF, when CTV came on the mm-hmm. air. And uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't get rid of me. 
<laughs> and and you, basically, Dick, you've been synonymous with the the Montreal Canadiens and the brand for you know eight decades and and longer. What is that association? I guess kind of meant to you over all these years. Well, it's a big part of my life. I was the first. I tell people the first time I walked into the, I was in the Montreal Canadiens dressing room. I was eight years old. And um, but it's been a while, a few years since I was uh, I was there. I didn't bother David uh, because I was <laughs> I was uh, retired by then. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know I had my my time as uh, people out west wouldn't really realize, but on throughout uh, almost all I'd, I worked television for 33 years and uh, doing the games in the booth. But for 29 of those years, I also did radio. And if uh, when it started out, the game, all the games weren't on TV. In fact, in fact, the Canadians at times had no games on any broadcasting outlet, radio or TV. Uh, that's what started the radio thing. So I, I did radio for all those years, so I was doing pretty well every game, although the only was the people in Montreal that heard the radio. So, yeah, they, uh, you know, I tried to... Uh, the I don't know what what's the word I'm looking for you know uh, unbiased if I, I could I know that the people in Toronto hated Dick and Danny and the people in Montreal <laughs> hated Brian and Bill <laughs> you know but that sort of interestingly enough Kevin that kind of died down when the new Canadian teams came in. When I first started out, there were only six teams. The only two Canadian teams were Montreal and Toronto. And the country seemed to be just split, and our mail was split, good mail and bad mail. But once uh, Vancouver got a team and Calgary got a team and so on, it, it, it people in those areas had their own team to cheer for, you know? So it wasn't quite the same uh, doing a national broadcast. At least I found that anyway. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, Dick, just talking about the Habs, um, I noticed in my my short time there just what a great job they do with uh, like the former players, the alumni, the staff. Um, they always have like the legends, Guy Lafleur. I mean, it probably helps that all the French Canadians end up living in Quebec when they're done playing. But um, you just speak a little bit to um, what a great organization they are in that way of keeping everyone involved. Um, whether it's players or staff from all the way back to, you know, maybe the 60s when you started? Well, you know, I'm quite far removed, David, from it now. Um, But, um, yeah, they they have what they call their ambassadors. And from the uh, original ambassadors... uh, there's no Evan Cornway is the only one left. Mm. The original yeah. ambassadors were uh, the two Richard brothers, Jean Balavo uh, and Evan Cornway, and Guy Lafleur. And uh, sadly, uh, all but one of those uh, fellows is gone. But Evan still is very active, and uh, he's now got the now Regent Ool, Chris Nyland. There could have been somebody added from more recent years. I don't know. But yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, the Montreal Canadiens, the just the CH in, in this part of the world is uh, a very important part of life here in uh, in Quebec and in uh, this part of Canada. So uh, hey, all the teams have their fans. I mean. When the Oilers come to Montreal, there's people show up uh, with Oilers sweaters on. You know, I mean, why not? Yeah. And uh, but it's uh, it re- really is something how this team. Uh, when my father came here in 1940, the reason he, one of the reasons he came here was the team was going out of business. Uh, they were broke. The, the the guy who owned it said he wasn't couldn't carry on. They were getting a thousand to fifteen hundred people at their games. The year before my dad got here, they won 10 games out of 48. Uh, they 
seven of their first 13, and they won three of their next 35, three out of 35 games. And they were going out of business. And the, the National Hockey League stepped in. And one of the things they did is they asked my father, Con Smythe, from who ran the Toronto Maple Leafs, they said, we need help in Montreal. we got to send some people in there. Will you go in and coach the Canadians for us? And my dad did. And uh, lasted there for 15 years. And uh, the most he ever made was $15,000. I just throw that into a <laughs> player just so that you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, when it, it, was, it was that close. Montreal had lost the Maroons. Not that long after they'd won a Stanley Cup, and they went out of business. Hmm. Um, hockey was a dead issue in Montreal. And it was only when Rocket Richard came. When the year that he came, they still weren't selling out. But then he, his first full season, became the Rocket. He got 32 goals that year. He got 50 goals the next year. And as they say about a franchise, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was the turning point. But it was that close, I'm telling you. And they said that we can't lose Montreal, we, the, the, the league, that is. Mm -hmm. And the owners of the teams got together, and they made some changes and brought in a general manager and brought in a coach, and they saved the Canadians. Dick Irvin, our very special guest on Sports 1440, Kevin Carey's David Schlemko with you on a Wednesday morning. Um, when you mention Rocket Richard, Dick, and I always thought that Rocket, and not that these weren't some of your favorite players, but when you mention your favorite players all time, and there are you know, literally dozens and hundreds of them, I, I was always it always brought attention to me that you always mentioned Elmer Locke into the conversation. Why was that? From Nakoma, Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the first year my dad came here, he recruited Elmer. Uh, he had gone down to Toronto and tried out for the Leafs, and uh, Mr. Smythe didn't like him or the other two guys who tried out, the Bentley brothers. He said, who, who sent these peanuts to me? He thought they were all too small. <laughs> and uh, then my dad, I went the, the, first, the summer before he came to coach the team for the first time in Montreal, drove to Moose Jaw, that's where Elmer was, and from Regina, and he talked to him and convinced him to come down and to try out for the Canadians. And Elmer always claimed when he came down to try out for the team, he was sure he was going to be on a couple of trains later back to Moose Jaw. So all he had with him was a comb and a toothbrush. <laughs> and uh, he ended up uh, living the rest of his life in Montreal. But he was one of the reasons why the, when the rebuilding, as that's the word we're hearing now, ad nauseum, with the team that we've got now, for the second time in their history, David, they're going to miss, it looks like they're going to miss the playoffs three years in a row. That's yeah. only happened once before. Um, and that was back around 1999, 2000, and 2001. But um, anyway, uh, that's uh, Elmer made the team and became very quickly uh, in his rookie year, the best player on the team. Um, and then uh, the next year, the very first game of the season, he was injured and never played another game that year. Uh, who knew that he was going to become a Hall of Famer? And then after that, then uh, the rest is history. But uh, there was a, they, they used to have names for the lines. I don't know if they have names now. Uh, <laughs> Not as much. McDavid belonged to a line with a name on it. Yeah. But anyway, that was the punchline. And my dad put together Toe Blake, who was the veteran on the team, Elmer, uh, and this young kid named Richard. Mm -hmm. And uh, they finished one, two, three in the scoring for about three years in a row. 
But that's what, uh, yeah, Elmer was, if, if you were to ask me about the three or four players who turned the Canadians around from near bankruptcy to um, being the Montreal Canadiens, he would be front and center for sure. Would the, would the Rocket have scored 50 and 50 and 44, 45 without Elmer? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Wow. I mean, he was the best center man in hockey. And uh, and his left winger was the best left winger in hockey. Hmm. So no, he uh, you know he had to have help. You can't you don't do it without other guys on the team. And uh, I don't think so. Now what do I know? I was I would I would we used to come down for Christmas. My mother, my sister, and I would take the train from Regina, spend uh, Christmas at the hotel with my dad. We could never figure out how Santa Claus got in the fifth floor window, uh, story window. But um, I was uh, sitting on the bench. I was sitting on the bench when I was twelve years old, the night Rocket got five goals and three assists mm-hmm. against uh, Detroit, and that was a record at the time for points. The only person that's got more points in one game since then is Sittler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he had his, what was his, 11, I think T- it was? 10, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, no, no, he, I mean, Morris Richard was, uh, you know how he got number nine, boys? No. Nope. Well, his, his first year in the league, he got war number 15, and he broke his leg right at Christmas time. First time I ever saw him play, he broke his leg. And didn't play for the rest of that year. Came back. He used to. He said to me more than once. And when I wrote a book about the Canadians, I interviewed Rocket, and he said I was surprised that your father invited me back to the camp. This was the year after he broke his leg. Anyway, he was being modest. Um, and that year, he asked my father, and I'm sure he had an interpreter because he couldn't speak English. I don't think, and my dad couldn't speak French. And he said, could he have the next morning off? They were training in Montreal at the Forum because his wife was going to have a baby. Okay, that's no problem. So he wasn't there the next morning. And he showed up in the afternoon and everything was fine. The baby was born and he was back at practice. And my dad said, how much did the baby weigh? And he said, nine pounds. Hmm. And my dad said, why don't you take... Do you want to take number nine as a memory of the occasion? So the rocket shrugged and said, he didn't care. That's That's how he got number nine. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, like you got some awesome stories. Um, obviously, you've been part of numerous Stanley Cup runs um, with the Habs. Uh, is there any one year or a certain team that kind of sticks out as a special group to you over all those years? Yeah, the team that sticks out is the team Scotty Bowman coached. Uh, the team that won uh, four years in a row starting in 1976. Uh, Scotty came here in 72. Uh, from St. Louis after they fired him. Shows you what they knew. Um, <laughs> two years later, the, the second year he was here, they won the Stanley Cup. Kind of a forgotten cup, that one, really. 1973, they beat Chicago in the finals. Then the next two years, they didn't win. Philadelphia won, uh, 74 and 75, the Broad Street Bullies. And um, strange to say, they haven't won the Stanley Cup since. Oh, and that's another topic I like to think about is how long some of these franchises have gone without winning the Stanley Cup. Anyway, uh, the Canadians uh, were good, but not good enough. And uh, one year, Ken Dryden sat out uh, a contract dispute, so they lost their goalie and so on. Anyway, Dryden came back, and starting in 1976, the Canadians won four in a row. And I will take that team, and you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert, I'm not, but I will just I will take that team and put it on the ice against any team that's ever played this game and uh, 
and take my chances. I, I, I can't see how it can any, be any better. And uh, they had a guy called Lafleur in his third year, number one draft choice, scored 21 goals and was not a factor on the hockey team for the first three years. Wow. And uh, so his fourth year, Sam Pollock, uh, here's one for you, boys. Sam Pollock called Scotty Bowman and his assistant coach, Claude Ruel, one assistant, uh, into his office in the middle of summer. And he said, I think I'm going to trade him. He said, well, I can get something for him. And they talked him out of it. They, they still wanted Lafleur. He had just had a third year of a first-round draft choice, and you scored 21 goals on a team that's almost at the top. That's not production. Anyways, Lafleur stayed. Uh, that's one thing that happened. The second thing that happened was he took his helmet off, and he had the goofiest-looking helmet in the league, by the way, at the time. And the third thing that happened was he scored 53 goals. <laughs> and the rest is history again, as we say. Uh, so that was uh, that was quite a team. I traveled with that team. I, I was doing the radio by then, and you know, you get off the bus in I don't care where you were, Boston or Chicago or Minnesota or whatever. They knew they were going to win. They had that that atmosphere, that swagger. Not over, not not overly. They weren't uh, lording it over anybody. They just knew. They were that good, and uh, it was quite something to see. And for four years in a row, they won the Stanley Cup. They used to play hockey. The Canadians used to Sunday mornings. They very seldom had Sunday games in those days. And on Sunday morning, the players themselves would go and just play a pickup game at the at the empty Montreal Forum. It wasn't a practice. Really? I'm telling you, if you go to see what you you go to watch that, that was the best hockey you saw all year. <laughs> These guys were playing against each other, and Bowman never went there. He never showed up. He let them do it. He wasn't thrilled with it, but he let them do it. There were two players that he said can't do it: Dryden and Serge Savard. Mm-hmm. He didn't want them there. Otherwise, go ahead. Wow! It was hilarious. It was great see these guys playing with no no referees on the ice. It was quite yeah. something. Back to the roots kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yes, cool. exactly. Uh, Dick Irvin, well, our special... My, my team, the, the year that I remember mm-hmm. uh, was, I guess it's the early years stick with you the most, I don't know, 1971. Um, I was with Danny. I was in my... Well, I started... My first playoff year was 1967. So it was still fairly early in, uh, for me. But in 71, they played Boston in the first round. Uh, Boston finished 24 points ahead of them in the regular season, ahead. Hmm. And Boston wins the first game 3-1 in Boston against Dryden, who had played six games in the NHL up to that point. Boston's in the second game in Boston, and with two minutes to go in the second period, the Bruins are leading 5-1. to one. Mm-hmm. It's no contest. Henry Richard scored a goal right at the end of the second. Why do I talk? I, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> this, this stuff seems like it was yesterday to me. Henry Richard went around a defense man in Boston wearing number four. And it just so happened it was him. And scored a goal right at the end of the second period. That made it 5-2. So a big deal in Boston, 5-1, 5-2. So who cared? Final score, Montreal 7, Boston 5. <laughs> And that turned, that was the biggest comeback, I think, in the history of the Canadians in playoff hockey, uh, to come back from being down by uh, that much. Anyway, they won that series, beat, beat Minnesota, and they beat Chicago in seven, and won the Cup, and uh, that was the year that uh, Jean Beliveau carried the Cup off. That was his last game. 
April 18, 1971, and it was his last game. He retired two or three days later, but to see him carry the, the uh, cup off the ice mm-hmm. at that time, you know. And that's a game they were losing 2 nothing. <laughs> and Bobby Hall took a shot on a power play that would have made it 3 nothing. It hit the goalpost. Dryden was six feet out of the net, not even close. <laughs> he hit the post. Now that goes in. It's 3 nothing in the second period, game over. Um, cup over. But then Jacques Lemaire flipped a puck from center ice on a long shot, on a line change rather, and went to the bench, turned, looked at the net when he got on the bench, and the red light was on. <laughs> Tony Esposito had lost it in the lights. <laughs> so that made it 2 1, and Henry Richard scored two goals in the third period, and they won the cup. That's the one year of them all. I mean, I had other years with other teams. Um, I, I did a lot when the Canadians weren't in the finals, which was a lot at the end of my career. Uh, I think of those, uh, if you're in this uh, vein, when Pittsburgh won their two cups in uh, in uh, 91 and 92. Uh, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget Mario. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the best I've ever seen hockey played at an individual level, was what he played. But I can tell you guys, the Oilers' first cup, Mm-hmm. They beat the Islanders. I was there. I was in the broadcast crew. And oh. I remember that was a Saturday afternoon, right? <laughs> and uh, David Lumley scored what proved to be the winning goal, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I remember Mess crying like a baby when the game was over. Uh, and uh, the Islanders had a great team. They had won 19 straight playoff rounds, the New York Islanders. Oh. We're never going to see that again, I'm sure. No. And the Oilers beat them uh, in that, I guess that was game six, wasn't it? I think so. So I was in on that one. That's the only Oilers Cup win, as I recall, that I mm-hmm. was present for. I, I did. I broadcast that whole series. Dick Irvin, our special guest on Sports 1440, Kevin Carey, and uh, David Schlemko. Uh, you did mention Danny Gallivan, and I wanted to touch base with that. So many years with uh, Danny Gallivan in the broadcast booth. What made it such a special tandem between the two of you? You know, I, people ask me about what's your the highlight of your career, you know, the usual question. And I have two. Uh, one was uh, being the English language MC the night they closed the forum. <clears throat> and uh, that was really something, uh, that ceremony that night. Uh, the second was my 17 years in the broadcast booth beside Danny Gallivan. I mean, young broadcasters would give whatever to work 17 games with Danny Gallivan. And I was there for 17 years. We just, you know, it was funny. I knew Danny from before through my father, because my dad's uh, last Stanley Cup in Montreal that he won as a coach was 52-53. And that was Danny's first year as a broadcaster and uh, in, in Montreal. And uh, he had come down with a team. He was from the Maritimes, and there had been an amateur playoff series of some kind, and Danny had been with the, uh, the the Maritimes team doing the broadcast back to Halifax. And the Canadians had a broadcaster, a very good broadcaster named Doug Smith, and he uh, quit working for Molson Brewery to go and work exclusively for Dow Brewery <laughs> and do the Alouette games on radio and so on. And anyway, he quit hockey, and they were looking for an announcer. And one of the the fellow that I ended up working with was uh, the operator at the forum, a technical guy, and he said, remember that guy from the Maritimes that was here last year? At this? So they, they got him, and he got the job, 52-53. And, uh, so I, but I got to know him, and, and then when 
and when I was even working, was I on TV? No, not yet. Um, but I became the official scorer at the forum for a few years. And my position in the rink for a couple of years was right beside the broadcast booth. So I was sitting. I could hear everything Danny said. I wasn't on the air then. I wasn't even. I was working for Shell Oil. <laughs> but I got to know Danny Gallivan, and it just seemed natural that I'm sitting. So then, when I I end up as a broadcaster and move in beside him, it seemed natural because I'd been sitting there before, keeping <laughs> track of goals and assists. <laughs> wow, and there, I just moved down a couple of slots, and uh, we just we never had a meeting. We never had a discussion over players or even pronunciations. And uh, we, we just, Danny hated meetings. He would do anything he could to get away from going to a meeting about any kind. Yeah. You know, I went to them all. I had to. I wanted to keep my job. <laughs> but uh, so uh, it just seemed to, I mean, the puck was dropped the first game. We had no discussion when we first started out. As uh, I, I quickly learned what he wanted and what he didn't want, and and so on. And uh, yep, it was just I don't know. It, I can't give you a story. Yeah. It's other than it just seemed to be very natural. And uh, you know. It sure, it sure seemed like it, and I listened to many, many, many games over the years. I know um, a friend of yours is listening in Stony Plain right now, and that's Glenn Hall, uh, one of the greatest of all time, and um, a, f- a mutual friend of ours, Greg Pilling, was out there with another friend of yours, Roger Jelena, recently, and they ended up calling you uh, out in, in out east, and uh, you ended up talking for 10, 15 minutes with Glenn. And what was that? that was what great. was that like? Yeah, it was great. Uh. I can remember Glenn. He, I had one of the biggest thrills of my life, Glenn. He, the first year he was in St. Louis, uh, the thing was that the new teams were guaranteed a spot in the final. And they played a seventh game against Minnesota in St. Louis. And the winner of that game was going to play the Canadians in the finals. The Canadians had won there the East, and they were waiting for the winner to come. And St. Louis won in overtime. Ron Schock scored the winning goal, and Glenn was, I don't know how many saves he made that night. I mean, it was unreal the way he played. So Glenn, and if he's listening, he'll know he, he wasn't really thrilled with being interviewed too much. Mm-hmm. But I was there, that we, we did that game on Hockey Night in Canada, and they had me there as an interviewer, just doing interviews, not the, the game itself. So when the game was over, they had me positioned down at one end of the rink, and they brought Glenn out. I was really shocked that he and he skated. He had to skate the entire length of the ice to get from the Blues dressing room area to where we were set up with the television cameras for the interviews. And the crowd went crazy. It was really a, it sent chills up my spine to see Glenn skating all by himself, just alone with this huge crowd. His place was full. And for him to skate and, and be able to take get the uh, that applause from the crowd who had just seen him put on an unbelievable show, mm-hmm. it was uh, I'll never forget that night. That was quite a quite a thing. And you you remember Dick Glenn's favorite one of his favorite stories is when Bobby Orr scored on him in uh, the Stanley Cup final in 1970, and of course Orr flew through the air. And Glenn's favorite line was that he had already showered and gone home before Bobby <laughs> landed on the ice. <laughs> Danny and I did that game. Oh, jeez. And every time Hockey Night in Canada, in the years after that, ran that goal, it was always Dan Kelly's voice yeah. who was doing the game on CBS in the States. 
So finally, one time at a meeting for a hockey night, something where I'm sitting there, I'm saying, hey, what, how come every time I see that Bobby Orr goal, it's not Danny's call, it's Dan Kelly's call. What happened? Well, why, why is that? Well, it turns out that somebody at the CBC was told to clear off some shelf space for, for the old videotapes. So they had this hockey game, so they took, it was on two tapes. So they took one tape and threw it out. It wasn't oh, the no. first half of the game, it was the second half. <laughs> it was no more in existence at the CBC. <laughs> that's brutal. They didn't have the tape, so that's why, whenever they showed that goal umpteen times, Glenn used to say to Bobby, you know, is that the only goal you ever scored? <laughs> <laughs> because he had, poor Glenn had to look at it so many times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Dick, I, I just got to say I'm I'm blown away by your recall, uh, your memory of all these amazing uh, hockey highlight memories. Is there any room in your brain for anything else, or does not this much. just just <laughs> stick my age to right just now, hockey not memories? Much. <laughs> Check with my family; they'll confirm that. <laughs> you know, Dick, we have a couple texts here that come in uh, about two or three of, of similar. Just asking Dick if he remembers Bud McPherson. Oh yes, yeah. They call him Boomer. Okay. And Bud was from Edmonton. And uh, Bud and I had a mutual, ended up with a mutual friend there, Bill Sturgeon. Bill's passed away. So is Bud. But, uh, yeah, Bud was on, uh, my dad coached Bud. And and I watched Bud play for Edmonton when I was still living in Regina. He was playing for, what was the Edmonton's? uh, Flyers. Flyers, was it? Flyers. The uh, senior team that was there. And uh, anyway, I watched him play senior hockey. The Regina team was called the Regina Capitals, Regina Caps, I guess. And uh, so I had seen him play. And then uh, he came to Montreal. He was on there. I don't know how things worked then. There was uh, lists and so on. But anyway, he ended up being the NHL property of the Canadians. And he played. Uh, my dad liked him. He played uh, a fair amount over uh, a few years in the early 50s, I think it was mainly. Uh, there's a, a show that this, they run on the CBC every once in a while. It's a National Film Board production of a hockey game between the Canadians and the, ring, and the Red Wings. Um, I don't know when it was. It was in that period because all, it shows my dad in the dressing room mm-hmm. uh, sending the players out uh, with no assistant coach. Uh, in those days, um, and Bud is in the film. You see him definitely two or three times uh, playing for the Canadians at that particular time. So, oh yeah, I remember him very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've probably taken too much of your time already, Dick. But I just wanted to get one more story out of you, if you could tell our listeners. Maybe they haven't heard it from you. I've I've heard it a couple of times. Just about your Toronto Maple Leafs hat that you you purchased a little while back, and the response that you sort of got. In Montreal. What, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Pelling tell you that? Uh, uh, you know what? When I used to do the radio, um, and I'm not saying this because I, I hope he, he's listening, he better be, um, but I would pick up, uh, pick up, I would use, uh, get hockey type people in various cities, and they all did a good job. Bernie Federko. Bernie mm-hmm. Federko. Foam Lake. I phoned him one time, he'd retired on the Blues. He didn't. He'd never done it before, uh, so I, I talked him into it to working with me that night at a game I was doing in St. Louis. Now he's doing it for a living, 
but I was the first one he worked with. But and, and the but the, the color commentator who did got the biggest reaction from me was uh, Greg Pilling. Greg was terrific at the games that we did in Edmonton. So, Greg, uh, there's a plug for you. <laughs> well, I, I bought uh, a, a Toronto Maple Leaf baseball cap at the Bell Center one night between periods of a Canadians game. I'd retired. I was at the game, sitting in the seats. And in the intermission, I went out and wandered around and went into a boutique that was there. And uh, anyway, I bought this Toronto Maple Leaf hat. And I wore it here and there. And uh, my wife was very upset <laughs> that I did it. Um, she didn't think that was right. And I had it on one day at a grocery store. And I was standing at the meat counter. And this guy beside me said to me, uh, a customer, he said, you shouldn't be wearing that hat. <laughs> and I thought at first he was kidding me, but it wasn't. He was serious. And he said it again. You shouldn't be wearing that hat. I, had, I wasn't even doing the broadcasts anymore. I'd retired. So I said, well, you know, the first time, sir, that the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup as the Maple Leafs, my father was the coach. And I was one month old. I had just been born. I said, I've got a little blue and white blood running in my system. And he just sort of harumphed and <laughs> turned and walked away. Oh, boy. <laughs> but he was mad because I was wearing a maple leaf hat. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. Uh, so that just shows you. That you talk about, uh, you know, Dave, you were talking about the uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens, you know, yep. and the, the feelings for it down here. Well, there you go. Some poor guy wears a Toronto Maple Leaf hat and he gets berated at a meat counter in a grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> Canadian you hockey fans anywhere, yeah. really. <laughs> well, you know what, Dick? Just over the course of this interview, we've just received so many texts about um, how uh, happy that we uh, were able to sh spend some time with you this morning. I can't thank you enough for taking a good half an hour here to spend uh, some old memories, share some old memories. Uh, we wish you all the very best health and happiness. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, hopefully we can speak uh, soon in the future. Really, thank you very much, Dick. Yeah, no problem, and you know where I am, and good luck with the show. Thank you. Um, thank to, you. Uh, to everybody concerned. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, and Dick. Thank you, Greg. Okay. Yeah.